morning. Thanks for leading us in prayer, Lord. Appreciate that. All right, uh, today we are returning to our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for quite some time. Um, and just for context, uh, we've been talking about how this is a, a sermon that Jesus is preaching to his disciples, to people who call themselves his followers. And in it, he's presenting an alternative way to live, uh, the, the way a disciple ought to live in the world. Um, and we've just spent uh, an, extent, an extended amount of time in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus uh, teaches them to pray, and now Jesus is moving on into a section of teaching about uh, what, it, what it looks like to live out that prayer. Um, and so he's turning our attention from the, the private and internal life of a disciple to the public and outward life. Um, and the order in which he addressed these things is significant in itself, right? Because only once we've been properly uh, oriented and equipped in prayer and devotion are we prepared to live out our lives as disciples of Jesus in this world. Um, and so often we confuse that order. Uh, so often we uh, tend to focus on our outward displays of piety before worrying about the state of our hearts, and we act as though we can, uh, we can fake it until we make it, right? Um, but that's not how it works. Our words and our actions follow our heart's leads, not the other way around. And Jesus is, is teaching us here that how we relate to the material world reveals what we treasure. That is what we ultimately love. And this is why Jesus says in verse 21, uh, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? And so uh, first, just a couple of qualifiers about this text. Um, firstly, it's applicable to all of us. Um, one temptation when we read about storing up treasures is to think that this is merely a prohibition against excessive wealth. And if that's all it is, then uh, the vast majority of us who don't consider ourselves to be in any danger of amassing a level of wealth that could be considered excessive, uh, which is a totally sub subjective metric anyway, but the rest of us might be tempted then to gloss right over a text like this, thinking it doesn't apply to us. But the treasure that Jesus is referring to here doesn't simply refer to the amount of wealth or possessions one might have, but rather our attitude toward them. A person with nothing can love and be obsessed by the idea of wealth just as much as someone who has more than enough. Right? So it's not what a person may have, it's how that person thinks about and relates to what they have. That is the issue. So, second qualifier, Jesus is not saying that wealth is bad. Uh, he's saying that how we think about and relate to wealth and possessions can be unhealthy. And most of these uh, unhealthy ways of thinking about earthly things fall into one of two categories. Um, first, we tend to think that we can derive our sense of significance from them in some way because we all have the desire to know that we matter, right? We want people to notice us. We want to be desired and respected. And these are perfectly relatable desires. Where we go wrong is when we think that we can leverage earthly things to get people to notice and desire or respect us. Things, cons conspicuous consumption, right? We buy uh, 
fancy cars or boats or things, I don't know, whatever, things that other people might think are flashy or make us important, right? We, we, we try to keep up with the Joneses. We try to make ourselves more attractive through uh, cosmetic procedures or fancy clothes or vintage sneakers, right? We, we can get super caught up in these earthly things. Now, right, in the second uh, sort of category of uh, unhealthy relationship with earthly things is that we think we can de- derive our sense of security from them. Um, we obsess over our financial portfolios and annual goals because we want to know that whatever happens, we will be able to provide what we need for ourselves. We, we want to be in control. We don't like the idea of helpless dependence, and so we try to create a buffer around ourselves to protect us from the uncertainties of life. And in both cases, we are foolishly putting our trust in the good gifts that God has given us rather than the good God who gave them. And if we find ourselves uh, relating to earthly things in either of these ways, we are in danger of uh, finding ourselves bound to a world that cannot satisfy either desire. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his uh, book, The Screwtape Letters, which is uh, a, series of, uh, a series of letters back and forth between, well, mostly in one direction, from Screwtape, who's this senior uh, demon or devil, and he's consulting his nephew, this younger devil, about how he ought to try and lead this man astray. And he says there that prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels like he is finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in him. And so prosperity can knit us to this world. But one of the major themes of the Sermon on the Mount is that followers of Jesus are in but not of this world, right? We are citizens of his eternal kingdom, not this temporal world. This is not our permanent home. But it can sure feel that way sometimes. And Jesus knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how easily our affections are stolen away little by little in the deepest, most unseen corners of our hearts. And he knows how our subconscious allegiances shape the way we think about the world and how we relate to it and how they ultimately determine who or what we worship. And so Jesus warns us in this passage today to be vigilant. And he gives us three concrete reasons why. Uh, first, earthly treasures do not last. Secondly, earthly treasures blind us. And third, earthly treasures are exclusive. So those are the three headings that we're going to discuss. And the, the text kind of breaks down naturally that way. 19 to 21 deals with the earthly treasures and their temporality. And then 22 to 23 deals with sight. And then the last section, verse 24, deals with our exclusive allegiances. Um, And so Jesus warns us firstly that earthly treasures don't last. We see this right away in verse 19 um, where Jesus said, do not store up for yourself earthly treasures on earth or treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus begins with a very practical appeal, right? Why would anyone put their trust in things that they know won't last? And he uses a pair of metaphors to illustrate this. First, uh, that moths and vermin destroy. Uh, moths are 
famously destructive to fabrics, which is why the invention of mothballs occurred. <laughs> right? We were these things that you were supposed to pack in with your clothing when you put it in storage to save it from moths eating it. Um, and so that, that, that's a fairly obvious image, that, that, that these moths, they eat up everything that you try to save. Um, and then vermin is the second one word that the, the NIV uses. The ESV uses the word rust here, but a more literal translation would be eating things. And so in this sense, they both work fine because the image could either be of rats or mice uh, getting into the grain stores if we're in the ancient world or maybe in the pantry uh, in our sort of modern context, but the, the images of them eating up everything that we've stored away for the future. Right? And, and likewise, the image could be of rust as well, right? Chewing away at an otherwise durable item that we thought would last until it crumbles away into dust, right? Whatever the case, Jesus is pointing to the fact that earthly treasures are subject to decay and deterioration, and they will eventually become valueless and disappear. Now, obviously, this was true in the ancient world, right? But what about now? We... We modern people, we are constantly innovating new ways to protect our possessions, right? We, uh, we have mothballs, for example, but we also have, we have insecticides. We have rat poison and mouse traps and uh, rust-proof paints and under-oiling to protect our cars, right? Our possessions have never been more protected than they are now. But none of this helps us escape the ultimate problem. Um, I commend to you a book called Remember Death by a man named Matthew McCullough. It's a brilliant book. Some of you here have read it with me in, in book clubs. Um, it's a brilliant book that exposes our culture's fear and avoidance of the topic of death from a Christian perspective. Um, and his thesis is that an honest acceptance of death and its effects on the world are inevitably a part of the human experience. And when we accept this, we, we are actually freed to experience the true joy of this life, whereas the typical attitude of avoidance actually robs us of it. And he writes this, he says, death is not so much an event as it is the culmination of a process, a siphoning process that separates us from what we love so that in the end, everyone loses everything. So the earth and everything in it is subject to death and decay and we will eventually lose everything because it will cease to exist. And he goes on to pose this question, how can you truly enjoy anything when you know you're going to lose it? And that's a fair question. Right? Because if you really love something, if you really want to hold on to it and you know that it's vulnerable and you know that it's just a matter of time before it disappears, Instead of truly enjoying the time that you have with it, you'll, you'll waste it by being preoccupied with defending and protecting it. But all your effort doesn't change the final outcome. In fact, it just makes it hurt more when it is eventually torn from your grip. So moth and, and vermin destroy and rob us of our earthly treasures, but Jesus goes on, he says, thieves break in and steal. And of course, you could take that as simply literal, and certainly one way to lose the things that we treasure in this life is through theft. Uh, but not everyone gets robbed in this life, especially not in the modern world where we have home security and uh, alarms and cameras and 911. 
right? But Jesus is giving a timeless principle that no one escapes. You can put it this way. One way we lose the earthly things that we love is by them leaving us, which is what we just discussed. Another way we lose them is by us leaving them. Uh, have you ever heard the expression, time is a thief? You know, another concept that McCullough explores in his book are the twin problems of what he calls impermanence and irreversibility. In our current state, we are impermanent. This means that we are going to die and that when we do, we will leave this earthly realm and everything in it behind. This is inevitable. This means that uh, even if it's true that diamonds are forever, we still can't take them with us and we're still going to lose them in the end. Right? So that's the problem of impermanence. Now I have the problem of irreversibility. And here's a couple more phrases you may have heard, right? Time marches on and time waits for no one. Right? These are inescapable truths. This is why we fantasize about time travel and entertainment. Right? Don't we all have... Uh, something in our memory that we're nostalgic for, that we would love to travel back to and experience one more time. Or on the other hand, don't we all have something that we regret that we wish we could go back and change? But we know we can. There are no brakes on this train and the track only goes in one direction. So, not only does everything, including us, decay and die eventually, but we also can't go back or freeze time even for a millisecond. So, that's the problem of irreversibility. And when you combine these two problems, they leave us absolutely no hope that we will be able to hold on to anything that we love in this world in the end. Okay, so that's the first reason Jesus gives us for not storing up earthly treasures here. Um, and it's a practical one. It's because we're going to lose it all in the end anyway. And the second reason he gives is that earthly treasures blind us. Uh, in verses 22 and 23, he says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, now this metaphor can be a little bit confusing uh, because we don't speak about these things this way anymore, but the, the Bible very commonly uses metaphors of eyes and sight for spiritual understanding, uh, for, for truly grasping reality, all of reality, as it truly is, both the physical realm and the spiritual. Um, when Jesus' uh, disciples asked him in Matthew 13 why he spoke in parables, he quotes Isaiah saying, otherwise their eyes, they might see with their eyes, hear with, so that is, that is the metaphor being used. Um, that they would understand with their hearts. And so the concept of sight uh, is used for having a right understanding of spiritual things, uh, being given the ability to comprehend spiritual realities. Um, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right? So, so if your eye is healthy, you see the unseen things. You see, the, you see what is eternal. You see all of reality, all the dimensions of it. And therefore, you can walk around, navigate this life with confidence because you see all the hazards around you clearly as well. 
You can see what others can't see. You can see what you couldn't see before Jesus opened your eyes. Um, and Paul, again, writes about this in, in, in Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So the disciple of Jesus ought to be able to navigate life because the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened to see the reality that we live in this world before and by the hand of our Heavenly Father. So this is what Jesus means by having healthy eyes. But there's another state that we can find ourselves in. You can have unhealthy eyes, right? You can have impaired vision. And remember, Jesus is talking to believers. He's talking to his disciples, and he's warning us that our love of earthly treasures can create massive blind spots in our spiritual vision before we even realize it. And that's why he finishes this section by saying, if then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness, right? If your sight becomes obstructed and you are unaware of it, you are in a worse state than someone who knows that their vision is impaired. Right? You're going to walk around with confidence that you should not have. The love of earthly treasures can be very subtle. It can sneak up on us quickly. We move so quickly from thanking God in prayer for lavishing his earthly gifts on us to believing that we deserve them or that we've earned them in some way. And both the, the overt and subliminal messaging of our modern world works around the clock to embed this belief in us. Right? We're so used to it that we become oblivious to it. You know, the phrase, you deserve it, is everywhere. And it tickles our ears and it gently strokes our egos daily. And if we're not mindful of it, we begin to act as though we actually believe it. We're so prone to double-mindedness. But the reality is that every dollar we have, every possession we own, every resource at our disposal is a gift from our Heavenly Father to be stewarded and deployed in worship of Him. So Jesus is warning that though we might think we have eyes that see, we are always in danger of being blinded by our love of earthly things. And it's hard for our hearts to discern uh, what we love most at any given time. It's difficult for us, right? This is why we need God's word to shine the light into our darkened hearts and to reveal it to us. This is why we need to maintain the daily prayerful dependence that Jesus had taught just prior to this which is all about calibrating our perspective and our allegiances and giving us sight. All right, so Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, first, because they don't last, and secondly, because they blind us and they put us in danger. The third thing he warns us against, uh, third reason he warns us against throwing up earthly treasures is because earthly treasures are exclusive. Uh, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We were created to worship and enjoy our Heavenly Father. In other words, we were created to serve Him. And 
we were created to depend on him for all of our daily needs, both physical and spiritual, as we've been talking about in previous weeks. We were created to find both our significance and our security in our relationship with him, but we are prone to denying that reality because of sin. We forget that we are children of the creator of the universe and that this is where we find our significance and our worth and our value. And instead, we turn to created things, the things of this earth, earthly treasures, to try and satisfy this need. And likewise, we forget that the Heavenly Father delights in meeting our needs and that he is a provider and a protector and that this is where we find our ultimate security and instead we turn again to earthly things, to earthly treasures to try and satisfy this need. And inevitably, we end up worshiping them and serving them, as foolish as this sounds. Bob Dylan was right when he sang, you're going to have to serve somebody. But you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, NIV uses the word money here because it's a, it's a concept that we associate with wealth, right? When we talk about a net worth, what do we mean? We're, we're talking about a, a dollar figure that sums up the whole of somebody's wealth and possessions, right? Um, which is what the word mammon means, which was the, old, the older translation. Um, so how we relate to earthly possessions reveals who or what we ultimately love. And again, it's not about having things or wanting things, but it's about our ultimate allegiances. So, uh, kids, do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Jesus illustrates this point very well there. Right? This is a man who came to Jesus saying, uh, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? You know, and he was a very moral man. He was a very upright man. He was a man who we would have thought of as a good person. Uh, but after a bit of conversation, Jesus told him to go and sell all of his earthly possessions and give them to the poor. And when he heard this, the man's shoulders slumped. Matthew says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had asked what he must do to be saved. Jesus gave him an answer, but he went away sad. Why? He did not realize that he was a slave. He couldn't free himself from the master that his wealth had become. He loved his earthly treasures too much to leave them and follow Jesus. He thought he owned his things, but what he revealed by his actions is that his things had come to own him. So he wanted to be able to serve both God and his stuff, but Jesus says we can't do that. We have to choose. It's incredibly hard for our wayward hearts to stay committed to our Heavenly Father when there's all these shiny things around us vying for our attention. And this is why in this story, as the man goes away, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, this is from Matthew 19, he said, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. We're so intoxicated by the things of this world, so easily enticed and lured away. But we can't love both. Jesus says here that you can only love one and the other we will necessarily hate or despise. Right? If we love our earthly treasures, we will necessarily turn our backs on our Heavenly Father. This is why we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to leave the God I love. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so Jesus warned us against storing up treasures on earth because they don't last, because they blind us, and because they demand the allegiance that we owe to God alone. So what's the solution? Should we become stoics who never allow ourselves to enjoy or become attached to anything in this life? Should we become ascetics who withdraw from the world and all of its good things? Should we love nothing? Absolutely not. Jesus tells us that the answer to storing up treasure on earth is to store up treasure in heaven. Okay, so what does that look like? Our natural bent is to take the good things of this life, the good gifts from God, and turn them into ultimate things, right? To try and find our significant security in them. But they were never meant to be used for those purposes. They were never meant to be the things that we live for. They were never meant to be the things that we cling to. They were simply meant to be foretastes of glory. Appetizers. That's how Matthew McCullough describes it in his book. He says they're appetizers. They were meant to whet our appetites, to excite our palates for the far better things to come, for the the great marriage feast of the Lamb in eternity. And so the, the answer is certainly not to avoid these wonderful things, but to enjoy them to the fullest for what they actually are. The good things of this world were never meant to fully satisfy us. They were always meant to point us to the source of all good things, to the heavenly Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. They invite us to come to him daily, to ask him for these good things. If that is the way that we relate to the, to the, the things in this world, to the wealth and the possession, to our earthly treasures, if we use them to stoke the fires of our love for our heavenly Father, if we leverage them to point ourselves and others to the unassailable hope that we have in eternity, in glory, with Jesus, then you're storing up treasures in heaven. And we sang right before the service, uh, right before the sermon, rather, the last song we sang, Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Now whenever we confess Christ, our hope in life and death, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank and praise you for the good things of this world. And we ask that you would protect us from loving them too much. Lord, help us to daily come to you for all our needs, to find our worth and our security and our relationship with you, our creator, and the king of the universe. Lord, and help us to fully enjoy the good gifts that you give us as what they were meant to be, as little glimpses of the glory that you have in store for us with you in eternity, all because of our Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.